Hello and welcome to Little Yopop, the All Things Yosemite National Park podcast. I'm Laura Jackson, an interpretive guide and naturalist living and working in Yosemite since 2004. And I'm here to share some of the aspects of Yosemite that I have found so compelling in the many years of my living and working there. This podcast is for anyone interested in Yosemite National Park, in nature, ecosystems, flora and fauna, human history, uh, geological history, pretty much anything Yosemite related. Anyone who is wishing to visit and wants a little bit more information um, prior to their visit, anyone who visits regularly, has visited in the past, uh, it's just for anyone interested in Yosemite in general. And what's so neat about this podcast is though it is hosted only by me uh, right now, uh, the the hope for the future is that we get more people on um, to share their stories and their insights and what they've discovered in Yosemite as well. Um, there are a lot of people who live in Yosemite and call it home, and I find that this is a curiosity for visitors in and of itself. So uh, this is the podcast that is brought to you by the people who work and live in Yosemite and make it their home. So a little bit about myself. Um, I came to Yosemite to work in 2004, and that was after my first year of college. And I just fell absolutely in love with the place and discovered that um, if, if one wanted, if one so desired to stay on and work in the national park year round, uh, they could do so. Um, it's not an easy way of life. It's certainly super modest, especially in your early years working there. Uh, so for instance, my first residence there was in a tent, a little uh, canvas tent cabin. If you've been to Yosemite, you've seen these white tents over in uh, Curry Village area, one of the original uh, camps in Yosemite. They haven't changed much. They are canvas and wooden beams, basically. And believe it or not, people do live in those tents all year long, including during the winter months. Some of these tents are winterized. They are insulated and able to accommodate people safely during the winter time. Um, the other aspects of living there are a little bit more complicated for a winter, especially if we have a normal winter, a winter where we see snow on Yosemite Valley floor, uh, which sits at about 4,000 feet. Um, because while you live in a tent or a little cabin, that means that your kitchen and restroom facilities are not contained within, and you have to go outside to access those, even during the winter time. And I spent many nights tromping through the snow <laughs> to find the restroom. <laughs> um, but that might be a little bit too much information. But it's relevant for this episode because this episode actually is about winter in Yosemite and more specifically winter sports. So uh, um, a lot of people are surprised to learn that Yosemite National Park is open during the winter time as well as the summer. Uh, but it was 
kind of a challenge getting early tourists into the park during the winter years. And there were a lot of efforts that were made by the early concessionaires and the park service to bring people into Yosemite National Park during what would be considered the off season or the slow season. So this is anywhere from late November until early March, the winter time. It is cold. There is not a lot of sunshine on the valley floor. Uh, the bulk of the day is in the shadow, uh, especially over in Curry Village. It's very dark uh, because there's a giant 3,000-foot cliff right above that section of the park, which is uh, the eastern side of Yosemite Valley, that very effectively blocks the sun. And I, I believe that I timed the amount of sunlight that we had during the the depths of winter when I lived over there and I think from the time we actually saw some rays of sunshine to the time that we didn't it was about three three to five minutes in the darkest hour so very cold very uh, uninviting I suppose you could say for a winter environment um, so not not a an easy way to get people to come and visit. However, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful winter opportunities in Yosemite. Um, it's such a nice time of year. It's very quiet. It's very peaceful. So if you're if you're one who can brave the cold in favor of a serene environment, the winter is certainly a time for you. So on today's episode, we will be talking about winter sports in Yosemite and how winter sports helped shape and influence the national park experience during the often neglected time uh, winter time of year. Um, this episode is being recorded and released in the second week of January of 2020, and so it is around this time that visitation in the park declines dramatically. January and February, in fact, only see about 6% total of the uh, visitors for the park uh, for the year, and um, you know, either of those months sees about 3%, so 6% total, um, and both of those months, January and February, um, cap out at about 100,000 visitors, uh, whereas the busiest month of the year is in August, and August sees well over 600,000 visitors. So it's quite a dramatic decline in visitation. The deep winter months of Yosemite are, in my opinion, blissfully serene. And I think this makes it those times, some of the best times to visit. And fortunately, there is still plenty to see and experience. And uh, that is due to the early efforts of the concessionaires, um, especially uh, dating back to the 1920s and 30s. Uh, it's a legacy of winter sports that still continues to this day. So if you're ever curious about visiting Yosemite National Park in the wintertime and uh, taking taking part in some of those activities, this is the podcast for you. Early efforts to draw visitors to Yosemite during the off-season started, you could say it started with the construction of the all-season highway, appropriately enough, Highway 140 from Merced, California, uh, completed in August of 1926. The completion of the highway also helped it was instrumental in the construction of the Awani Hotel, Yosemite's luxury accommodation lodging facility. Since most of the construction, the building of the hotel started in August of 1926. And so most of the construction actually took place during the winter months where trucks couldn't 
probably have gotten in before carrying supplies and building material. Now they could. Um, and that was that was a that was a pretty good winter as well. Um, so having that highway completed was really instrumental in getting the hotel built. But one of the missions of the Awani was to draw of the Awani Hotel, excuse me, was to draw more visitors into the park during winter months. Uh, but visitation remained pretty low through the 1920s, which was kind of troubling for the concession, considering that they spent. Um, about $1.2 million to build the facility, which was double their initial budget when they planned to build the Iwani Hotel. So the president of the company, of the concession company at the time, Yosemite Park and Curry Company, was uh, Do- Dr. Donald Tresseter. And he had, he and his wife, Mary Curry Tresseter, um, her last name being Curry, that might sound familiar for those of you who know Camp Curry. She was the daughter of David Jenny, David and Jenny Curry, the founders of Camp Curry. Uh, but she was the wife of Dr. Tresseter. And Donald and Mary both had uh, great affinity for the outdoors and, uh, in particular, winter sports. So they saw... Uh, winter sports is an uh, opportunity to attract visitors with options um, for winter recreation. And this was a model that had not been seen in, in California resorts until until then. Um, the Yosemite Winter Club was formed in 1928, and it was to, quote, encourage and develop all forms of winter sports. And that's from an old article of the Yosemite Sentinel dating back to 1986, which I will link in the show notes for this uh, for this program. Skiing, ice skating, and hockey were organized under the direction of a man whose name I'm going to attempt to pronounce, but he's Swiss, and I am not. So, so bear with me. Ernst de Ballet. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Forgive me if you're if you're a Swiss person, uh, but he his um, record for successful winter sports promotion uh, actually included the success of building Lake Placid as a winter resort in New York. Um, and Lake Placid actually would go on to be the very place that would go on to beat Yosemite National Park out for the bid for the Winter Olympics in 1932. I bet you didn't know that Yosemite was in the bidding for the Winter Olympics. Yes. So early efforts included the construction of an Olympic-sized ice skating rink. That's one of the first things they'd put in. And they put that ice skating rink under the shadow of the 3,000-foot Granite Cliff Glacier Point over in Curry Village. So the staff would flood the Curry Village parking lot with water, and that would uh, allow it, and then it would freeze naturally and remain frozen over the winter months. Um, and a toboggan run was built a little bit later on, west of Camp Curry. A sledding hill uh, near there became popular with visitors who would slide down the slope on the lids of ash cans, and it became known as Ashcan Alley. Uh, horses that were kept in the valley over the winter were put to work as well. They were pulling sleighs and allowed for a sport called skijoring. <laughs> A lesser-known sport today where a horse pulls a person behind it on skis. So, not a bad way to get around. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, Dog sledding was another popular activity. Yes, the dog sled uh, course ran from Curry Village towards the stable areas. And cross-country skiing was actually uh, introduced well before downhill skiing came to Yosemite in 1928. 
the Yosemite Ski School was formed with instructor instructors uh, Jules Fritsch and Ralph Rafe de Pfeiffer, also from Switzerland, a uh, Canadian ski jumper named Gordon Hooley, and a gentleman named W.E. Wolf Grieven. Wolf is his nickname. The first ski hill was on a moraine uh, or a hill located near Curry Village. Had a downhill slope of a couple hundred feet and a 60-foot ski jump. So pretty exciting, pretty exciting stuff happening in 1928. So, so skiing uh, was taking place on the floor of Yosemite Valley, um, along with all the other activities: tobogganing, sledding, ski joring, of course, sleigh rides dog sledding, all, all the things. Um, and then a more formal downhill area became established a little bit later in the winter of 1932 to 1933 at a place called Chinkapin. And Chinkapin is an area um, on that, go, that goes towards the south side of the park or the south entrance. Um, it was, from what I understand, it the skiing was... Uh, a, kind of difficult there I believe um but it was still it was still gaining some popularity uh with early guests and um the oh and this was uh this was uh this place was established um due to the construction of a tunnel uh on highway 41 the south entrance called the Wawona tunnel which is this tunnel that's almost a mile long blasted through the blasted through a piece of rock there so that was kind of a big deal a big engineering marvel for the day that was in 1933 to 1934 uh kind of opened up that area for the for the winter time as well um and then a road was constructed uh that went up to a place called badger pass um above chinkapin uh and this is the road that goes up towards glacier point as well um so it's a higher elevation um Badger Pass, it's around 7,000 feet or so, depending on which section you're in. Um, Badger Pass had a, gen- a bit of a gentler slope than Chinkapin and uh, more variety for skiers. And it quickly became the go-to area for anyone interested in downhill skiing, kind of a, a new sport for the West Coast. Uh, a site near Old Badger Pass Summit was selected for California's first major ski development. And this is not Yosemite's first major ski development. This is in the whole state of California. So this is the very first one, which is kind of exciting. The Badger Pass Lodge was constructed and opened in 1935. And the new lodge quickly gained accolades and attraction all over the west coast badger pass was proving quote proving one of the strongest influences in the state for the development of skiing so skiing in california actually started here in yosemite national park or downhill skiing rather the first ski lift was called an up ski uh, appropriately named (laughs) because it took skiers up the hill and it was also uh, dubbed the queen mary it was a cable pulled sled. It was, I'm sorry, it was a sled that was pulled on cables that carried up to six passengers up about 280 feet and then was later extended to the top of the mountain, um, which is uh, about 800 feet altogether. A T-bar tow was installed in 1947 
and double chairlifts uh, eventually took their place in uh, 1973, so a little bit later on. The ski area itself is very, very modest compared to the resorts in California today and all over the West Coast. Um, But uh, for the time in the 1930s, it was pretty state-of-the-art, and it attracted skiers from all over the West Coast. There's even uh, photos that can be found of Hollywood royalty, such as uh, Charlie Chaplin, who was... Uh, known to ski the slopes of Badger Pass. So Yosemite's Badger Pass became known as the Switzerland of the West, and it regularly hosted ski competitions. This was the go-to place for skiing in California. So there was the 1937 State Ski Championships held there, and the Pacific Intercollegiate Ski Meet, um, representing colleges from all over the West Coast, including UCLA, Stanford, uh, UC Berkeley, uh, USC, Washington State, Oregon, and Utah. Um, yeah, so lots of uh, lots of activity going on back there. Lots of great history as well. Um, the people who helped establish Badger Pass at the time were the best in their field, and some of them would even go on to build um, bigger resorts in California, such as uh, Sugar Bowl and Mammoth Lakes, and they all started in Yosemite National Park. So visitors today who, who brave the winter cold are greatly, greatly rewarded on a visit to Yosemite in the off-season. Although gone are the days of ski-joring, toboggan runs, and dog sledding, there are still plenty of opportunities to enjoy this sublime winter environment. Badger Pass is still an active ski resort, one of several in the national parks in the early 1930s. It is now only one of three remaining ski resorts in the national parks still operating today. So it's a, it's a relic. Uh, the old lodge designed by architect architect uh, Ted Spencer opened in 1935 still retains much of its original charm and you'll if you visit there you'll see that <laughs> that original charm and uh, great it, it's it's a wonderful construction um, it's a great little building uh, the hill has a vertical drop again of about 800 feet the summit sits at about 8,000 feet above sea level uh, it's a gorgeous view from there there are get ready 10 runs consisting of mostly moderate routes and blues with a few advanced. We have a couple of black diamonds in there. Um, I think we have uh, three black diamond runs and a, a beginner hill as well. A little green route for, for those that are just starting out. Um, and again, while this may seem quite modest by ski resorts of today, what Badger Pass offers is an ideal place to learn downhill skiing and snowboarding. It's very family friendly. The atmosphere is fun, really relaxed, and there are never if I'm sorry, rarely, if never, any lift lines. So you're not going to be competing for these hills. Uh, It takes about seven minutes to ride the lift up, the main lift eagle. Seven minutes to get to the top of the hill. And depending on how fast you ski, about a minute and a half to three minutes to get down. So most of your day is is sitting on the lift, but it is it's well worth it. It's a it's a very nice, fun little opportunity. Great place to run laps and practice. 
Um, so ski and snowboard rentals are also available there as well as snowshoes. They also rent uh, telemark and cross country skis at the, uh, Nordic center. So it's all inclusive. And there's also a free shuttle that goes from Yosemite Valley floor up to Badger Pass every day. There are two shuttles that go up and then two that come down, uh, every day that are free for, for visitors to Badger Pass. Now, if snowboarding and downhill skiing uh, don't pique your interest, consider cross-country and skiing and snowshoeing options. So there's a groomed trail uh, from Badger Pass uh, ski area to Glacier Point, which is the only way to access this incredibly scenic vista, Glacier Point, during the wintertime. It's, uh, it's a road that's open during the summer, so sees many, many visitors during those months. Um, it sits about... It's 7,200 feet or so uh, above sea level, about 3,000 feet above the valley floor. And you get a great view of the Yosemite high country, all the peaks of the Sierra Nevada. It's just amazing. Um, But you can only get there on cross-country skis or snowshoes during the winter months. It's 11, I think it's like 11.2 miles one way, maybe 11 and a half. One way there and 11 and a half miles back. So... That's a that's a quite a trek, 22 to 23 miles on cross-country skis or snowshoes. And uh, that's the, both of those activities are very tiring. So if that seems like a bit too much to do in one day, um, there is a hut that is located out there uh, that serves as a little gift and grocery store during the summertime. But during the wintertime, it is a, a ski hut. It's a little warming hut. There's a hut keeper and uh, there are beds and couches and a fire going uh, all the time. And um, the hut keeper has food options, little soups, and uh, I believe they offer beer and wine options there as well. Um, now, that is a, a establishment that's run by the concession in the park and uh, it's staffed by them as well. So it's, uh, it's a reservation system. You have to actually reserve a spot in the Glacier Point hut if you're going to be skiing out there. Um, and it does fill up well in advance. So you have to make sure that you actually have a spot secured before you go out there expecting to stay. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're skiing the long 11.2 miles back to Badger Pass, back to where the car is. And if you took the bus, then I don't know. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> now, um, the Glacier Point hut, uh, while it's open most years, I actually just found out it's not open the winter of 2020. So, um, apparently there's a problem with the power system. So, so they weren't able to open it this year. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that there's something in the works to get it uh, back up and running, um, for the coming seasons the trail out is still good there's still a lot of snow out there so if you if you do feel up to it and you you think you can cover the mileage in one day uh, I highly recommend it it's a it's a glorious track mostly groomed it's almost the entire way there um so if you get a good pace going you can get out there pretty fast uh, out and back just make sure you bring lots and lots of snacks and water with you as well but um I did this uh, that trail last season. So in 20, uh, I'm sorry, at the beginning of 2019. Um, and yeah, so covered the 22, 23 miles in a day and it was, it wasn't easy. It was very hard for me. Um, also as a, a pretty avid hiker. Um, so, you know, make sure that, you know, you're, 
your level of fitness when you're going out into those snowy environments. But I have to tell you, honestly, I didn't actually see a single person um, once I got past a certain point about six miles in. I was I had it all to myself. So pretty, pretty glorious uh, day for that. So beautiful views from Glacier Point. And uh, if you're interested in more information, you'll you can visit the concessions website, uh, visit I think it's travelyosemite.com. I'll include it with the show notes as well. So um, that's Glacier Point. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. So yeah, Glacier Point does fill up quickly uh, and well in advance. So just be very, very diligent with checking for availability. And again, it is not available this season, but perhaps next season. Um, the Yosemite High Country also hosts warming huts for long-distance backcountry skiing. <laughs> Sorry if you can hear my cat. Uh, for long-distance and backcountry skiing. Um, and and these are just little huts that are in the high country. This is, you know, very... This is for very hardy winter individuals that can ski out. There's very long distances, you know, over 20 miles a day sometimes. And, um, and then... There's another hut that sits off the Glacier Point Road uh, underneath or ne- uh, near Ostrander Lake as well. And I believe that one's run by the Yosemite Conservancy. So lots of places where you can uh, ski out to actually and have a nice little warming hut while, uh, waiting for you there. And of course, no winter visit would be complete without visiting the ice skating rink, one of the earliest additions uh, to the world of winter sports in the park. The ice rink still sits in Curry Village under the shadow of Glacier Point with stunning, stunning views of Half Dome as the backdrop. Uh, It can be argued that the Yosemite National Park ice skating rink is one of the most spectacular outdoor rinks in the United States. And some one of their sessions in the afternoon, if you're skating as the sun sets, uh, you also get to see this wonderful optical phenomenon called uh, Alpenglow on Half Dome. And this is the, this beautiful rosy pink glow um, that lights up the cliffs during the fall and winter time as the sun sets. It's just outstanding. So other activities include guided snowshoe trips with the National Park Rangers and full moon snowshoe hikes around the full moon hosted by the Parks Concession Service. Or you can just choose your own adventure. There are many miles of walking trails on the valley floor that offer gorgeous views and possible wildlife spotting. So gray squirrels, mule deer, and even some black bears remain active for much of the winter in Yosemite Valley. And the solitude absolutely cannot be found any other time of the year. So Yosemite um, was a really great opportunity in early park efforts to bring people outside during the winter. Some years during those early years, uh, the Merced River, the river that runs through Yosemite Valley, would freeze over so thick that people could ice skate on it. And snowfall on the valley floor averaged over 60 inches per year in the 1920s. However, there have been some noticeable changes from the winters of the 1920s to recent years. Today, the river rarely freezes and absolutely never thick enough to warrant ice skating conditions. And we now see an average uh, annual snowfall on the valley floor of about 30 to 36 inches. So quite a difference from the 1920s. Personally, I started noticing big differences from winter to winter around 2006. Um, That's when I started staying on for the winters. 
Um, some years we would see a pretty average or decent level of snowfall. And then some years we would see very little in the high country and um, none on the valley floor at all. So 2011 to 2015 were some of California's driest years on record, which was a huge concern for California's water supply. The snowpack for the Sierra Nevada is crucial to the success of the agriculture in the state of California. And it also provides hydroelectric power and clean drinking water to millions of people all over the state. So relief came uh, over California in the winter of 2016 to 2017, which brought record-breaking snow levels. And then the following year, was one of the driest winters on record, the winter of 2017 to 2018. The winter of 2018 was so dry that Badger Pass couldn't open for the first time since it opened in 1935. So the unpredictable nature of our current weather has really raised major concerns for the future of Yosemite, for California, and for the world. We are always grateful for the robust winters when they happen, but we can no longer depend on predictable winter weather to determine our future water supply, sustain our ecosystems, uh, relieve us from fire danger during the dry summer months, or just afford us snowy adventures. So there's something about snow that is very special. Many people coming to Yosemite for the first time have never experienced snow. And the delight of their discovery is infectious. The whole landscape seems clean and untouched, safe and protected under a fresh blanket of snow. On full moon nights, the reflection of the snow off of Yosemite Valley illuminates every sparkling snowflake and casts these long shadows across the valley walls. The feeling of peace and calm is indescribable. It is a feeling I am... I will never forget, and I'm forever grateful to have experienced it. And it's it's a feeling, it's an experience that I hope everyone will have the, the pleasure of having at some point in their lives. So if you find yourself getting a bit of cabin fever this winter, consider visiting Yosemite during the quiet season. Be sure to check road and weather conditions and plan accordingly. There are also webcams on the National Park Service website that stream... Um, not live, but uh, stream photos of Yosemite Valley kind of in real time to give you an idea of the current conditions and the snow level on the valley floor. Uh, so this is being recorded January 7th of 2020, and I checked the webcams yesterday, and it looks like there's not there's not anything on the valley floor. There's a little bit of snow up in the higher elevations, and I believe that uh, Badger Pass is, is still running, um, although they are uh, probably needing a little bit of fresh snow coming up pretty soon. So that's uh, that's about it for winter sports in Yosemite. I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod, the All Things Yosemite bo- podcast brought to you by the folks who live there. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend and you can follow us or me on social media. Uh, Instagram and Twitter, just search for Little Yo Pod, all one word. Or you can email me, Little littleyopod at gmail.com. This episode was uh, recorded, produced, and narrated uh, by me, Laura Jackson.
And uh, you can check the show notes for links to photos of old Badger Pass and early winter sports in Yosemite. And I have also included links to information on visiting Yosemite during the winter time to the concessions uh, website, as well as the National Park Service and links to those webcams as well. I'm Laura Jackson. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful day. Thank you.